Well, you can open your Bible to, or leave it open to Exodus 20 if you'd like. Uh, but we are going to be jumping all over the place today. We've come to this, this pinnacle section, uh, climactic section on Mount Sinai. And here we have the very words of God speaking uh, directly to Moses. This uh, section is really constitutional, we might say. Now, we're coming out of the week uh, where we celebrate our nation's independence. Uh, someone, had, someone had commented, I don't remember where or who, somewhere within the week. I think I might be able to guess, but I won't. Um, you know, it was Canada Day as well, not very long ago. And what do they celebrate? Being Canadian. And so... Then the U.S. has its Independence Day, and what do we celebrate? Being independent. Well, you can laugh harder than that, like, but or unless it's too convicting. I mean, we we tend to elevate you know that spirit of independence, even even ourselves being a Bible church, like we're independent. Well, that's good as far as it goes, but this this. This is a nation that's being formed here in Exodus 20. And God is bringing words that are constitutional. He's constituting a nation. He's formalizing a compact with a people that hadn't been a nation previous. Oh yeah, they've been a tribal people and, and even an ethnic group, the Hebrews. But now they're going to be known as the nation of Israel. And this, this is a way for them to establish a civil life. Uh, a society. Our, our words in the early uh, opening words of the U.S. Constitution have a law code that is to establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. In many ways, you could tack this on to the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Not exactly, but the force of it is this is the forming of a national law code. This is what will drive their, their civil servants. In time, they'll have a king. And this government is to be constitutional. But it's one that God has formed and God has shaped. Now, we might be familiar enough with Exodus 20 Although Stephen Colbert did an interview a number of years ago with, uh, I think it was a senator who was really pushing that the Ten Commandments be, be tacked on back to the, uh, the back wall of the, of the school room. And in the midst of the conversation, he says, well, Senator, you know, what are the Ten Commandments? Probably as quiet as it is now. All right? He He's pushing the agenda, but he couldn't actually go through all ten of the commandments of God. Well, that's a little embarrassing, if not shameful. Although, we, you know, we won't look at each other wondering, could we make it through all ten? And to be honest, I have to do a little ditty song, a little kid's tune, in order to make it through all ten in the right order. Uh, maybe that would work out as a kid's corner sometime. It was to be, but yet to be. 
That's a challenge for us, right? Now, the whole of the Bible is the Word of God. And as we recited from Psalm 19, there's a lot of synonyms uh, that work in parallel that talk about the Word of God as the law of God. Interesting, the last one, wasn't it? The fear of the Lord equated with the Word of God. And where's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Word and worship is where we become wise. That's another, another message in itself. Exodus 20 lists these Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 5 and Leviticus 19 are other passages that bring these words, and that's the real if we were to do a literal translation, that's what these are. They're ten words. We call them ten commandments, and rightly so, but very literally, they're ten words. This is the word of the Lord to us. Now, what do we do with this, this law code, this national law code that was written in about 1445 B.C.? Let's see, that's, that's, I had to do this on paper, 3,468 years ago. What do you do with a law code for a specific people group written well over 3,000 years ago? Why do we read it now in the context of worship today? Why do we read it as New Testament people? Not even as Jews or Israelis. We read it as Christians, people who follow Jesus. What do New Testament Christians have to do with the Old Covenant before the completed work of Jesus Christ? That's the question today. And uh, the week ahead, we'll get into the actual words themselves. But I think it's important that we do a little bit of background work. Partly, partly from a, a societal level, because there's a, a, a large drive and a push this day that, that is way beyond even the, the interview several years ago about putting the Ten Commandments back in the classroom. It, it's it, more in a, a theonomist agenda, more in what today might be sometimes called Christian nationalism, which is trying to push and enforce, well, things that are difficult if not in conflict with New Testament biblical Christianity. What do we do with the Old Testament law? And to what extent is it appropriate for nations today, let alone for the church today? Now that we opened up that, and how do we go forward? Well, we need to remember that we are, in fact, people that are saved. We're redeemed people. And we, specifically the church, we, we come as a people that are saved by grace through faith and nothing of ourselves. And that's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. But look at this in Galatians 2, 16. We're going to hop all over the place, so I, I put most of the passages right up on the slides for you. Galatians 2, 16. We, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We are saved 
by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And nothing added and nothing subtracted, but not of our own doing. It's the grace of God. And the, the beautiful and wonderful gift of faith that we would come to Jesus, believe Jesus, follow Jesus. So when we talk about the law, we, we need to lay this right out front. We're not talking about a way to get saved. We're not talking about how to be right, justified before God who made us. No, He saved us. He redeemed us. Christ, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is the righteousness of God for us. For us. So that is the place to begin. Now, on the basis of that redemption, because of God's work of salvation, we want to keep His commandments. Well, I got one amen. One, one legalist. No. We want to keep the will of God, the commands of God, the, the ways of God. So, Exodus 20, verse 2, we read it. And, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is God's history with His people. And what did He do to them? He saved them from slavery. He redeemed them. He bought them out of slavery, particularly to Pharaoh in Egypt, a taskmaster, a slave master. So, the people were saved, redeemed. Then God gives them a way to live. Now that's an ethnic, cultural, national political process there in Exodus 20. But it's a paradigm for us too. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. You were called to freedom. Nice verse for July 4. You were called to freedom. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is filled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, wait a minute. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Yourself is one word. That's, eight. That's about eight words, isn't it? Not one. Well, this, this goes back to what I was getting to the point. The commandments in Exodus 20 are actually called words. And Paul is driving that point home to the Galatians. There's one word. There's one commandment. A new commandment that Jesus has given to his people, to the church, that you would love one another. And it's based on this Old Testament way of love. Hmm. We, we love God. And so we want to please Him. Now, why are the commands the way that they are? Well, they are a reflection, a revelation of God's very own character and His nature. 
Leviticus 19.2, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. God is a holy God. Other verses, he's a God of mercy, a God of love, various attributes, perfections of the Lord. Holiness becomes that kind of umbrella under which all of the other attributes of God come. He is holy in his love. He's holy in his justice. He's holy in his mercy. And on it would go. Distinct, different, unique, infinite, eternal in all of these attributes. And those in their infinity we can't share because we're limited. Like fill my cup, I lift it up, come and quench the thirsting of my stole, fill it up, until I'm overflowing, because I can't contain it all. Only God is infinite, perfect, eternal in all of these attributes and holiness. But he does share of those attributes with his children. So Leviticus 20 goes on to say, You consecrate yourselves, therefore, you be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I make you holy. So this is the old adage from, I think it was Augustine, who said in his prayers, command what thou wilt and wilt what thou command. It's right here in this verse. Consecrate yourselves. Be holy. I'm holy. I'm the one who's sanctifying you. I'm the one who is making you holy. So even, even in this Old Testament way, it was never totally dependent upon the individual or the nation themselves. It was always dependent upon God who does the sanctifying work. God who does the work of making a people holy. And yet there's this human responsibility to be holy. To live the way that delights the Father. These are expressive of who God is and what God is like. Now you're saying, yes, Todd, those are all wonderful Old Testament passages. Next slide goes into some New Testament categories. Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And Paul understands this as well from the teaching of Jesus, Ephesians 5.1. Be imitators of God as beloved children. He goes on in verse 2 to say, walk in love. Love is, as we saw in Galatians, the summary of the commandments. And Jesus in the upper room, John 13, gives us a new commandment. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Well, after reading all of this in Leviticus, like, that doesn't seem very new, does it? No. It's very old, chronologically. What's new is that Jesus is instituting a new covenant with a new day and a new meal Communion, the Lord's Supper, which is an ongoing reality. 
of our life together with him. And he says, not only a new day and a new meal, but a new law code. A new command to go with the new covenant in his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And it's summarized in this word, love. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Moms and dads are delighted when their children happily, humbly yield to the will of their parents. Is it not a delight? (laughs) Is it not a pleasure? And when they don't, it's heartbreaking. You know, the relationship isn't gone. It's still parent and child. But the, the communion is hindered. We know this on a human level. This is, our whole life is illustration and example of the divine, of the spiritual. So, okay, the commands of God are actually a reflection of his character and his nature. And as his children, you are becoming more and more like his eternal son, Jesus Christ. You become more like him. And love, love delights to do the will of the Father. This is motivation. It's in love. It's in gratitude. Those who, who know what love in the Christian sense really is are, are eager and happy to obey the word of God. This was the delight and the pleasure of Jesus himself with his heavenly Father. John 15 Verse 10 and following. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Huh. The eternal Son, fully God, enjoys a a union, a communion, an abiding relationship with the Father as they yield to one another and as the Son does the will of the Father. Verse 12, he goes on to say to his disciples, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends and you are my friends if you do what I command you. Be careful. He didn't say you become my friends when you do what I command you. He says you will know, you will have the assurance that you are my friend because it looks like a life that's obedient. It's the fruit, it's the assurance, it's the manifestation of a life that's been changed. Second John in verse 6, This is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment. Just as you heard from the beginning, that's the beginning of Jesus' ministry, that you should walk in it. Hmm. 
And, and then the teaching of Jesus. The, the Bible scholar comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to be saved? What's the greatest commandment? This various questions come. And Jesus summarizes this, this whole conversation in a few words. Matthew 22, verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And he says the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he's quoting Leviticus 19 and verse 18. And he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, the law, again, remember this is a, an umbrella term because what, what, what is the law? Think of what, what books of the Bible are included in the law, the Torah. Preach at me. You got them. They're like, it's like, it's like, what do you call it? Rounds. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of Moses, the Torah, the Pentateuch. How much of that is command? Like we've been in Exodus maybe too long. Have we had many commands yet? We're up to chapter 20. It's narrative. It's story. So even most of what we call the law isn't law. It's the story of God's redemptive history with His people. It's a summary of a relationship. All right. But back to this. Jesus does, in fact, give a new commandment that you love one another. John 13, 34. His teaching all along, and even as we've, we've gotten summaries of the law from the Old Testament, it's about love. It's always been about love. Love for God and love for your neighbor. We could play around with the, the structure of the Ten Commandments and like the first four about how to love God and the latter six are how to love your neighbor. Kind of works. And Jesus is quoting the Old Testament itself and now, now like we're not even in the Sermon on the Mount. No debate now. Now we're, we're well into Matthew 22. And Jesus is summarizing the life of a disciple. Okay. John summarizes this for the disciples. Uh, in 1 John, his little letter, he wrote his gospel to tell us the gospel. And then he wrote the letters to say, here's how you can know that you're a gospel person. And here's one of those assurances. 1 John 2, 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. How do you know you know God? Because I know what he says and I do it. 1 John 5, 2, 3. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God to obey His commands. His commands are not burdensome. I don't know. Maybe you feel a little burdened right at the moment. 
The difference between, one difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is the operation of the Holy Spirit in a unique way. Jesus instituted this new covenant. He says, I've got a new command. It's really an old one. Love. But the, the, the context of this promise of a new covenant, this new relationship with God through Jesus, is that he would write his word on our hearts. On tablets of flesh, not tablets of stone. He, he changes your hard heart into a softened heart. It's not only receptive to the ways of God and the words of God, but responsive to them. Remembering them. It's on your heart. And the Holy Spirit conforms you to the image of Jesus Christ. And you, you can't help but want to please God. It's a new heart, a new nature. And what a blessing and promise. Now, Jesus is the fulfillment. A number of years ago, we walked through each of these one by one. And we'll, we'll come back to these in the next week to remind ourselves, refresh ourselves of what, what do people of God look like. Not how you become a person of God, but now that you are, what do you look like? What's the way of life? But before we go there, are you a child of God? If you're not a child of God, then you'll hear this and try to work this out and be frustrated. Because you can't. But Jesus did. He is the satisfaction. He is the fulfillment of the righteousness of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. We know these familiar words from Matthew chapter 5. They're used and abused in different ways. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly I say to you, heaven and earth shall not pass away. Not one iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And here's our verse again. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. How in the world, how in the universe, could my righteousness ever surpass that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? 
I mean, they, they were the religious elite. They, they had so much of this memorized. They had it on written hearts, but of stone. The difference is a change of heart. And embracing all that God is for you in Jesus. Romans 8. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those that are in Jesus. Because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The child of God has been born by the Spirit of God, has a new life, a new heart, a new motivation, a new desire, a new relationship with Father God. The life in, in the flesh, the, the old way of life is cut off. It's removed. It's been crucified with Christ on the cross. And life in the Spirit moves you, controls you, fills you to make you acceptable to God. And it's, it's that, that great exchange, they call it. This is my life full of sin. And God takes my sin and He puts it on Jesus who died in my place for me. The law of sin and death. The wages of sin is death. It's a sobering reality. But we're all on our way there. And the one way to find victory over death is in the death of Jesus Christ who conquered death. But it's not only that He took my sin, but all the All the righteousness of God in Christ is now given to me. My sin put on Christ and Christ's righteousness accounted to me. The great exchange. And that happens when you're born again by the Spirit of God and a new heart is given and you receive the righteousness of Christ. His righteousness. But friends, know this. We come to these commandments and 
it isn't only this, this passive righteousness of Christ. He gave his life as a sacrifice. But it's the active righteousness of Christ that I receive as well. He actively fulfilled the law of God. He fulfilled every jot, every iota, every aspect of it. Jesus fulfilled. Nothing missed. Nothing forgotten. Nothing willfully disobeyed. Willfully obeyed. Happily and holily. It is that active righteousness that is also accredited to the account of the child of God. You don't need to keep trying to prove yourself to God. You are His child. You don't need to keep trying to make yourself holy. Now, that doesn't mean that we're passive about it. But understand that he who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it. We are saved by grace and we're made holy by that same grace. And what he expects of his children, he enables his children to fulfill. And the place of beginning is that receiving of all that Jesus is for you in his righteousness. Don't leave here having not received the righteousness of Christ. Don't leave here with a hard heart of stone, unresponsive, unreceptive to the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Yield to him now. Surrender to him now. Trust him now. Believe on him now. And be saved. In this life and in the life to come. So, Father, we do come and we ask you that you would do a work by your Holy Spirit in, in us and among us. That, in fact, we would be changed and continuing to be changed in conformity to the purity, the holiness of your Son. Be all of our life. Be the center of our being. Grant to us faith. And hope and love. Through Jesus' name we come. Amen.